We want to start with a word of prayer. And uh, last Monday, November 1st, is what's called All Saints Day. Uh, it always follows uh, Halloween, and it's a chance for people to remember those who have passed away in the last year, those who have gone before us, a chance to um, remember them and, and uh, honor them and to uh, remember the testimony of their life, the story of their lives. And we call it All Saints Day because when you become a follower of Jesus, um, God c- creates in you this uh, that you become a saint, like you become uh, holy and righteous in his sight because of the forgiveness you've experienced through Christ. So All Saints Day is a chance to remember all those who have passed away. So I want to, as we go to prayer, just read the names of those that we were able to identify in this last year in our community here at Hillcrest that have passed away. Uh, we're not going to sh- have every name shared that you have maybe be thinking about, someone in your own life that you've lost, uh, someone close to you that's important that has passed away. But let these names just be representative of those in your life that you would want to remember um, as we go to prayer. So let's, let's talk to God and lift up these. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our life today, that you are present with us, that you forgive us, and that you remind us that death is not the end of the story for any of us. We all must face death, but we are welcomed through it into eternity with you. And so, Lord, as we begin this morning, we just want to lift up the names of these friends and family who have gone on before us in this last year. Wayne Powers, Vita Metzger, Alice Ed Rainley, Joe Johnson, Dave Matson, Grace Ketterman, Gary Gunn, and Margaret Peggy Miller Colburn. Father, we thank you for the testimony of these lives. We know that they were not perfect, Lord, but they walked with you. They surrendered their lives to you. And they remind us of what it looks like to live in a transformed way, to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for you. So, Father, we thank you for their stories, and we pray that we would hear that story reverberate around us this morning, that this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that that those voices would call us forward, especially on those days when it's difficult to walk in faith, those days when we don't understand what you're doing, Lord, allow these examples of faith be encouraging to us. And Lord, we invite you to speak to us this morning during this time. As we look at the stories of Moses, we look at the the period of, of wandering for the people of God, Lord, we pray that you will use this time to encourage us, uh, encourage us and strengthen us, Lord. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, are you uh, feeling the pressure yet? We are 50 days away and it's coming. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. 50, what's in 50 days? Christmas, right? And all the news organizations that I've been watching, national news, local news, the social media blog uh, posts, it's all telling me that that thing I want to buy for Christmas, I'm going to have a hard time finding it. So now is the time to be shopping. Have you guys heard that? Do you guys know that? It's coming. It's critical. I mean, first we had a pandemic, and now there's a gift shortage. I mean, (laughs) it is the end of the world, I think. We are. uh, But it it is coming, and... um, about two years ago, we were visiting a family friend that had a baby, and we went to celebrate this new birth, and we were with them hanging out, and the husband brought out a virtual reality headset. This is two years ago. They were just starting to kind of come onto the market, and we all had a chance to try it out. I brought one this morning, one of these VR headsets. You know, you put it on over your head. You look silly, but you go into a whole different world, and you get to experience all these cool things, and we were playing this simple game called Plank, 
And uh, you, you, get into, you go inside this little world and you go into an elevator and you go about 20 floors. The, the elevator opens up and you're looking out over the cityscape just off the side of the building. And in front of you is about a 10-foot plank. And here's a screenshot of it. You're, you're supposed to walk out onto that plank and, and look around. Now, it feels very real. You're wearing this headset. You hear the birds. You hear the wind blowing. You can look all around you, and you just see the cityscape, and it feels very real. It's such a cool experience. And uh, you can go, like, anywhere in these VR things. You can do all sorts of adventures and things. Uh, Haven was so taken by it, our youngest, that uh, she saved up her Christmas money and her birthday money that year, and she, she bought one. Now, it took like two or three months for us to actually get it because they were on back order. So many people were purchasing them. They were just being flying off the shelves. That was about a couple years ago. I don't remember them advertising on TV. I don't remember seeing anything on social media, but they were just flying off the shelves. Well, why were they so hard to find? It's because of something called brand evangelists. They were, they were people out there, like so taken. I mean, I'm one right now right? I'm, as I'm talking, I've spent three minutes talking about it. I'm a brand evangelist. I mean, it was so compelling for people. They so enjoyed the experience that they, they shared it with their friends and their family, and word just started getting out. And pretty soon, you couldn't find them. The best kind of advertising is what happens naturally between friends. And there's a, a business term for that now called evangelism marketing. Sometimes it's called brand evangelism, but it's when people get so taken by a product that they voluntarily begin to talk about it and actively spread word about it on, on the behalf of the company. They're not paid to do this. They just start to do it. It's been, so, it's been such a product that made such a difference in their life or it's been so much fun. They just start talking to other people about it. Customers are preaching to their friends and converting people to this product or to this experience. Evangelism uh, are, are so taken by it that they just naturally share it with others. They get so excited, so hopeful, so energized. They want everybody to, to share in that experience. Their lives are so affected and changed. And, and sometimes it's much more important than just a, a headset, virtual reality headset. It's maybe a product that's actually helped them live in a better life. And they get so excited about it. We, we share the stories uh, of, of things like this with those that we care about. When, when we have an experience that helps us live a better life or changes us in a positive way, we want to tell other people about it. We naturally share that with our friends that we, we care about. And our story this morning, we're going to see how Moses became an evangelist in the ancient world, how he began to share the stories of what God was doing in his life, the amazing power and presence that he was experiencing, and it began to transform the way that he saw his reality and how he engaged in the world around him. And he began to share that with others. It wasn't immediate, but, but over time, his everyday life was transformed and changed. As, and now this morning as we're looking at as he's leading thousands and thousands of people through the wilderness toward the promised land, he is even more convinced that there is a God who cares about him. There is one God, the one true God who created him and knows him. And it's, it's changed his life. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, open up to Exodus 18. And we're going to look at the story this morning in Exodus 18. Uh, of Moses and his people. Now, again, Moses was born in Egypt as a Hebrew slave. The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they were in this forced place of hard labor, longing for freedom. Through some miraculous events, Moses doesn't grow up in that community. He is adopted into Pharaoh's family, and he grows up in the royal courtroom for 40 years of his life. This is his experience from, from the palace, a place of privilege, a, a place of power. That's his experience. And then he loses it all. 
And under threat of death, he has to run for his life and escape to Egypt. And he spends the next third of his life, the next 40 years of his life, as a shepherd in a wilderness area called Midian. We're going to look at Exodus 18, so if you're there, just stay right there. But I want to share a little bit of the Midian story with you. And so this is what we read about his experience in Midian. Moses escaped from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. And there he sat down by a well. A priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to fill the stone tubs with water. They wanted to give water to their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove the women away, but Moses got up and helped them. Then he gave water to their flock. The young women returned to their father, Raoul, also known as Jethro, and he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian saved us from the shepherds. When they saw Moses, they saw him as an Egyptian, even though he was Hebrew. He saved us from the shepherds. He even got water for us and gave it to the flock. Well, where is he? Jethro asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to come and have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man, and the man gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses to be his wife. So Moses joins this this family and this community. He becomes a shepherd for Jethro, and for 40 years he shepherds Jethro's flocks. And then one day while he's watching these sheep, God shows up. We know that story of the burning bush, and God says, now is the time. Uh, The final 40 years of your life is going to be focused on bringing the people out of slavery and into freedom, and you're going to lead this nation back to the promised land. We've been following that story over the last two months, and the people have escaped from Egypt, and now they've begun to experience God's presence with them and to see that he will protect them and provide for them, that he'll fight for them, that he's guiding them through the wilderness. And God is using Moses and the other leaders in a powerful way to help the people see that God is at work among them. So this brings us to Exodus 18 and a visit from Jethro, his father-in-law. We just read about in Exodus chapter 2. Jethro comes to visit him. So look at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro here, he's a, he's a priest of Midian. Now, that means he's a religious leader for his country, for his people group. And in Midian, they had uh, several small G gods. You know, a lot of different gods they worshipped and pursued, just like the Egyptians. Small G, not the one true God, but other gods over harvest and sun and seasons and all that kind of stuff. And as the worship leader, as their priest, he would have helped the people honor and submit to these different gods through sacrifices and sacred spaces. And he had an important role in his community. And we're told that he hears all that God is doing for the people of Israel, all that he's done for Moses. And and he says, I want to see this firsthand. So Jethro comes out to visit Moses. Now, it wouldn't have been a a long journey for Jethro. We know that Moses is in the wilderness with the nation of Israel. They're near the mountain of God. And we're told that that's the same mountain where Moses encountered God in the burning bush as he was watching Jethro's flocks. So this would have been, you know, close to where Jethro was. And we're told that he comes with Moses' family. It says Moses had sent them away, and now Jethro is bringing them back. Now, if you were reading this story in one sitting, you would say, well, I don't remember them ever leaving Moses. And Exodus doesn't tell us when Moses sent them away. The last time he was with them in Exodus 4, they were heading to Egypt together to call Pharaoh and to let the people go, and, and all that stuff began to happen. But now, at some point, Moses must have sent his family away. We don't know if it was maybe when the plagues were getting really dangerous and scary, 
Although I, I think Moses probably wanted his family to see what God was going to do. I think he would have kept them around. Maybe it was when they were heading out into the wilderness and the um, Amalekites were coming to battle them and, and attack them. And Moses saw that battle coming and sent his family back to his father-in-law. But whenever that happened, here's Jethro bringing his wife and his two sons back to him. We're told about these two boys and their names. And whenever you see names in Scripture and then what those names mean, it's because it's important for us to pause for a moment and understand what it's talking about. I love how his son's names give us a little bit of a, a picture of the kinds of things that they went through, that Moses was going through in his own life, the things he was experiencing. So his firstborn son is Gershom. It sounds like the Hebrew that means I've become a stranger in a foreign land. When Moses first escaped from Egypt and came into Midian, he didn't feel like he really belonged there. He was missing his family. He was missing his community back home. He was in a strange place, different customs, and it just didn't feel like home to him. It was like he was a stranger in a foreign land, a little bit like a, you know, a Broncos fan in Chief Nation or something like that, right? <laughs> just, it just felt foreign to him, different. He was missing uh, his way of life. His first child was an example for that for him. He named him Gershom because that was where he was at in his life. And every time he saw his son, he'd be reminded of that season of his life where he felt like he was missing his community. And then this second son comes along a few years later, Eleazar. His name means the God of my father was my help. So from I'm a stranger in a weird place to the God of my father, my, my Hebrew father, the God of Israel is my help. You see some movement in Moses' life. As he's living in this new place, he begins to see that God is still with him, that God is still guiding him, that God is his help, even as he's feeling like maybe he doesn't belong. And you see this, this journey of faith that Moses is on, and that's only developed over time. And through these, these terrible plagues that just happened, he has seen God be faithful as God has provided for his people in the, in the wilderness, food and water, everything that they need. And Moses' faith in God is only expanding and growing his sons reflect a bit of his journey. We can see that God met Moses during that, that second 40 years in the, as he was shepherding and helped him begin to grow in faith. So let's go back to the story here. Verse 5, Jethro is there with him. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for, the, for Israel's sake and all about the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear all about the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10 here, he said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. You know, we have those friends that, that get excited with us when things go well in our lives, right? Those are the kinds of people we like to hang out with. When, when we get that job promotion we were hoping for, when we've saved up enough to buy that car, when our, our kid gets into the college we hoped for, when we, we know we're going to have a child and we announce that we're going to have a baby, those friends that get excited with us, those are the kinds of friends we like to be around. You know, not the ones that maybe get a little jealous or start to give us weird looks or don't ask us more about that story. We love being around people who celebrate with us. 
Since we enjoy it so much, we ought to be that kind of friend to others, right? We ought to be like that to our family and celebrate when things go well for people. And that's what Jethro is doing here with Moses. He says, Moses, it's so great to hear these stories, to see what God is doing among you. But we see in Jethro that it goes much deeper than that. In verse 11, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. That's a really important statement from Moses' father-in-law. He's a priest in Midian. He's leading his people to worship all these little G-gods. And he says, now I know that there is one God, that there's, I've, met the, I've heard about the greatest God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the real God. He, Jethro begins to find this new faith and this new belief because of the stories that Moses is sharing. Moses, the evangelist, voluntarily advocating and actively spreading the stories of God's action in the world, God's power on display, the salvation of Israel from Egypt, from slavery into freedom. And as Jethro hears these stories firsthand from Moses, he begins to understand and, and know that there is one God. And notice in the text here, Moses doesn't just share the good stuff, right? It says that he talked about the hardships. He talked about the difficult days when they didn't know what was going to happen. When they were wondering, is God going to show up for us this time? Is he going to come through for us? Moses didn't hold back. He shared it all with his father-in-law. And I also think it's important to notice that how he greets his father-in-law. It says that he, he kissed him and he bowed down. It's the last time you kissed your father-in-law. Huh? I mean, I love my father-in-laws. I've got two of them. I love them. I've never kissed them. I, I can honestly say that. Uh, I haven't bowed down to them. But this is obviously first, uh, you know, this ancient world, that was kind of the way they did it. They would kiss one another as a greeting. They would bow down in a way of honor and respecting each other. So your strong handshake is that, that kiss. When you ask your father-in-law for advice about a career you're moving into or about raising kids, that's honoring them. That's, that's like bowing down and just saying you've got wisdom to share. So Moses is, is honoring his father-in-law, respecting his father-in-law. It's important to remember that this is Jethro who lives under an entirely different belief system, a different cultural environment than Moses did, a different national identity. Moses still sees himself as a Hebrew man, 40, first 40 years of his life, an Egyptian Hebrew. And, and Jethro is an entirely different kind of understanding of how the world operates, what's right and wrong, a different religious system. And Moses is able to respect him and honor him and show love to him. I just think that's a wonderful example for us, especially as we are heading into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. I'm assuming that over the next six to eight weeks, you're going to bump into family members, extended family members, friends that, that don't share, possibly share your belief system, that maybe look at the world in a different way than you look at it. And, and Moses shows us here that we can respect and honor those friends and those family members, that we can extend love to them and, and, and embrace them and share life with them, that we don't have to be afraid to do that. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really asking that God would use this holiday season to allow me to speak to others about the difference God makes in my life, to talk about why Christmas is important, what I'm thankful for at Thanksgiving. This, these are the things we want to do. And when we respect and honor others, when we listen to their stories, when we love them, even if they don't believe like we believe, even if they don't live like we live, if we can honor and respect them where they are, God can work through us to share the stories that are transforming our lives. And they too might come to a place to say, now I know that the Lord is real. The Lord is God. He is here. He is present. I recently heard a preacher say these words in reference to this passage of scripture. He said, if you take pride in being hated for the way you stand up for Jesus, don't be surprised if you have little impact for him. 
That's a, that's a powerful statement. Let me read it again. If you take pride in being hated for the way you stand up for Jesus, don't be surprised if you have little impact for him. We know Jesus was hated. He said, you will be hated as well, but he didn't go looking for it. He didn't, he didn't take pride in that. It broke his heart that people hated him. He met people where they were. He engaged with them in their stories. He loved them and honored them and, and shared what God was doing in the world. And that's an example for us. That's what Moses did. And I think that's something that we can live into as well. Jethro says, now I know. And that really matches our mission statement, doesn't it, Hillcrest? To know Christ and make him known. So Jethro said, I, now, now I know and we see that throughout this Exodus story, that that's why God was operating in the world at that time the way he was, so that others might know that he is God. Exodus 6, 7. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So he was talking to the people of Israel. Here's why I'm doing this, that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Exodus 7, 5. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Exodus 8.10, it will be as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Moses speaking to Pharaoh. And finally in Exodus chapter 9, verse 29, the thunder will stop and there will be no more hail so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. This is why God was operating the way he was. Now Pharaoh didn't learn that lesson. The Egyptians, they didn't learn that lesson. Later on the Amalekites as they come against Israel, they don't learn that lesson but Jethro Jethro learns the lesson. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. So what happens? Look at verse 12. Jethro makes the statement. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So Jethro brings an offering. This is a way of saying that I believe something new. I want to honor the Lord. He brings an offering, and then he sits with the leaders of the people, and they share a meal together in the presence of God, it says. We see that Jethro is being transformed, that he's embracing a new way of life. Now, it doesn't mean that he's got it all figured out, right? But he has experienced something new, and it's beginning to change his heart and change his reality. The presence of God is right there with them. Jewish scholars look at that passage and they try to understand, well, how is the presence of God, presence of God there? Because they understand that when, when God shows up, everything else changes. If God shows up physically, then nobody else is there because everybody dies in the presence of God physically because you can't handle that as a human. That's what the Old Testament talks about. So they, the Jewish scholars are trying to understand, okay, well, how was the presence of God there? And they've come to, most of them have come to the place of saying, well, it's because Moses was at the table. Moses represented for the people of Israel the presence of God. A few weeks later, he'd be up on the mountaintop. The people would be in the valley below, and God would, uh, God would be speaking to him about the way of life he had for his people, the Ten Commandments. And Moses would bring that to the people. And we see throughout the Old Testament, this system gets set up where the people are here, and God is here, and there's a go-between. You know, there's a priest, or there's Moses that, that helps be that representation of God, or is the go-between for them. And so they're sitting at the table in the presence of God, and Moses is, is that reminder for them of the presence of God. In a moment, we're going to come to a table as well, the table of communion, a place where we remember that Jesus sat with his friends at the table and that he, he talked about the bread being broken like his body would be broken, the, the wine representing his blood that would be shed. And, and at that table, Jesus sat, and, and Jesus was not a representation of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And that's amazing truth that we celebrate at communion 
that we don't sit at a table in the presence of God with a, represent, a representative of God, that we've got this go-between. We don't need that any longer. Jesus becomes the God in the flesh with us, our Savior, our Lord, our leader. And we get to celebrate that at the table of communion, this amazing gift we have that we can know God and walk with him. And he's present with us in a very real way. And we get to share the stories of God, how he is transforming our lives with those around us. We get to be evangelists. We get to share the good news, the good stories. And, and for some of us, that's a, that's a heavy word, evangelist. That's a scary word. But we see here Moses shows us what it looks like. It's just simply telling the stories of your life. Here's where God is showing up for me. It's listening to the stories of other people and, and helping them to see that God's at work in their life as well. Praying with them when they're going through difficult times. Acknowledging that God is present and real. And living into that with your friends and your family members that maybe don't know it yet. Moses shows us what it looks like. And I'm so thankful that Jesus came and, and, and is God with us. No longer are we separated. No longer do we have a go-between. Jesus is here with us. We get to celebrate that at the communion table. And before we go into communion, I just want to go to one more thing in the text here. If you go back to verse 13 now. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is, it, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all the people stand around from you till morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And then Jethro goes on and talks about, Moses, what you need to do is get some other leaders and make leaders over tens and hundreds and thousands. He says, delegate the work out. And they can handle the smaller cases and, and work among the people to bring judgment and wisdom. And, and if a case is really difficult and it comes up the system to you, then you handle it. But stop doing it on your own. And Moses listens to his advice. And he begins to delegate his leadership. Now, we could talk all about that idea of, of delegating leadership. Any of you that lead organizations or companies or families, you might want to think about this. How can I pass on leadership to others among me? But what I think is really cool in this story is how Moses listens to Jethro, how he allows Jethro to bring him advice, to bring him wisdom, and he allows Jethro to speak into his life. And it brings the question to me this morning, who are you inviting to bring good counsel into your life? Who are you asking and inviting to bring wisdom to you, to bring counsel and discernment to you when you're in different, different points in your, in your life, challenging seasons, decisions you have to make? Who do you invite to speak into that process? Because we need others to help us do that. I think about at least four different kinds of people that might fit in this category. I think about a mentor, I think about a coach, I think about a counselor or a spiritual director. And each of those different roles play different kinds of uh, parts in our lives at different times in our lives. And um, I've asked a few people just to share what that looks like for them in those different roles. Uh, so I've got someone here to represent what it means to be a mentor, what it looks like to be a counselor, what it looks like to be a spiritual director. They're going to share real quick what that looks like. I wasn't able to nail down someone to talk about being a coach this morning. Uh, I know we have some coaches here. We have some professional business coaches. We have some, some sports coaches. When I think about coaching, I think about someone who helps us encounter a specific skill. Like we want to grow in a, in a particular skill set. Uh, you know, it could be conflict resolution or, 
budgeting or public speaking or even parenting. And we ask for a coach to come alongside us for a, a short season to help us get that certain kind of skill. A lot of times you might pay a coach to do that for you. And, and so a coach plays a very specific role in teaching us a skill. When I think about a mentor, I've got Kyle's here. Where, Kyle, where are you? Okay, Kyle, why don't you come up? I'll come to you too. Kyle is a, a mentor. So Kyle, tell us 30 seconds. What does it look like to be a mentor? Yeah, I, I really enjoy being a mentor. Um, I, uh, I, I love to be able to uh, get to know people below the surface line. And um, can you hear me? Okay. And um, I, I love to be able to draw on my experience, both uh, personal, um, my personal experiences, to be able to, um, you know, help develop the people that I'm mentoring. And um, uh, my role typically involves advising, guiding, and supporting. And um, uh, it's, it's just very uh, rewarding and exciting to be able to walk alongside the people I mentor, to be able to uh, work out the challenges and, um, and help them grow. And uh, unlike uh, consultants or coaches, uh, my time that I devote uh, to mentoring is free of charge. Mentors often don't charge you anything. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, Mel, Mel's here. Mel is a spiritual director. So Mel, why don't you share with us, again, 30 seconds. What does it mean to be a spiritual director? Thank you. Um, spiritual direction can occur uh, at your kitchen table over cups of coffee. It can be uh, occur through Zoom on the internet. And several from here at Hillcrest like to uh, meet with their spiritual director in the prayer room here at, at Hillcrest. It's a nice, comfortable place. And what happens is that a uh, spiritual direction occurs when you invite a spiritual director to come alongside. They're not experts. They don't look over you. They're, they're a brother and sister right with you. And through listening, not through giving advice, but through listening and asking questions, they assist you in your desire to know the Lord even better, uh, to experience him, to become more aware of him in your daily lives through, through all aspects of your life. And um, I guess a verse that I think of that explains it, I don't know where it is. Maybe someone can help me. It's in one of the prophets where he says, uh, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord his going forth in our lives is as certain as the dawn, and he comes to us like the rain, like the spring rains. And then Doug is here, and, and he's a counselor, and uh, asked Doug to share also. What, is it, how is this, uh, what does counseling do? What do counselors and therapists do for us? Yeah. Very similar to spiritual direction. It's a misconception often that a counselor will tell you what to do, and that's not necessarily the case. A, a counselor listens and helps you reflect upon your own experiences, feelings, thoughts, objectives, goals, looking at our own patterns, uh, where they come from, what's effective, what's ineffective, trying to understand uh, why we do what we do and uh, what would be a better uh, conclusion. We can help in underst uh, bringing understanding of attachment and family systems and, and mental disorders and things like that, but it's uh, largely a pattern, a matter of discovering our patterns and uh, more effective patterns. So four different kinds of 
leaders in our lives, four different kinds of people that can invest in us and help us grow in our understanding of what we're encountering in the world. Uh, Again, a coach, a mentor, a spiritual director, a counselor. I just want to acknowledge that this was, these are three men. I mean, there are women that do this work as well in an excellent way, women called and gifted in these roles. I just wasn't able to find them for this morning, so I saw, I'm sorry about that, but I just want to acknowledge that, that there are great women among us that are doing counseling and coaching and, and all that we're talking about. I, I don't think that it's uh, realistic to say, I'm going to have these four in my life, and every week I'm going to meet with one of them. That's just not realistic. Uh, these are people that we lean into different seasons of life, when we're going through different kinds of challenges or different kinds of losses or different kind of questions, we want to lean on these people. Again, we're going back to Moses. He listens to Jethro. Jethro was, was really a coach for him in this, in this moment, saying, here's a way, here's a skill that you can work on to develop that you might be able to govern the people better. And I just love how Moses listens to him and takes in his advice and lives into it. We need these kinds of people to pour into us. We need each other to encourage one another, to help us carry the burdens of life that we go through, to stand alongside one another and and allow God to work in new ways. God works through us. He works through his people. He works through these roles in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to to think about that this morning. One of those roles might be what you're looking for. Uh, You know, God is there and with you, but he might speak through one of these roles in a real practical way that's going to help you this week or this season of life.